Welcome to episode number two of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Dear Elizabeth, you came outside your door. You came all the way to see my dark, to see my light. Dream is yours. Nothing to be at all, no one to write your soul. That's the unmistakable voice of Mark Olson, whose new album, Spokeswoman of the Bright Sun, is, uh, is out now. What can I tell you about Mark Olson? Well, I've been listening to Mark Olson since I was uh, 16 years old because I was a big fan of the Jayhawks. I listened to all that Twin Tone stuff. If it came out on Twin Tone Records, I was going to listen to it. So because they had the replacements and Jonathan Richman and uh, the Neats. Remember the Neats? And the Jayhawks were, were on Twin Tone, and I was in high school, and I got their first record, and I was like, these are my guys. And uh, I love them. And then they put a record out back in, what, 93 called Tomorrow the Greengrass, and that remains one of my favorite albums of all time. But we're not here to talk about my favorite albums of all time. We're here to talk about Mark Olson, and we're here to talk to Mark Olson, who is my guest today on the show. Uh, Mark Olson, after the Jayhawks, went on to uh, be in a band called the Original Harmony Ridge Creek Dippers, and uh, then he was kind of in and out of the Jayhawks again, and uh, and then he went off on his own and uh, lived down there in Joshua Tree, met a pretty amazing woman named Ingen from uh, Norway, and uh, that guy just kind of did the Joshua Tree life. He's out there in the desert doing things. He's doing things with herbs. He's making cool teas. He's... Uh, He's living off the land. He comes from a family of farmers uh, from Minnesota, and uh, it's in his blood. He's doing that kind of thing and, uh, and making great music. Mark Olson is responsible for some of my favorite music of all time, and the guy continues to do it. He keeps making it happen. Spokeswoman of the Bright Sun is an absolutely marvelous record. If you get a chance, you should get to it right after you hear this interview. You should go buy it. In whatever format you buy music these days, go buy it. It is an absolutely stunning album. It's poetic, it's harmonic, it's melodic. And he's, he's playing with his wife, Ingen, who is a very accomplished Norwegian musician. She's a very accomplished Norwegian, is what I almost said. But what I meant to say was, she's a Norwegian who's a very accomplished musician. She's innovative. She is really interesting with her instrumentation and her choices uh, that she makes in these compositions. And uh, in terms of harmony, she's an absolutely perfect partner for Mark Olson. So good thing they're married because they uh, work well together. Uh, and they work actually quite beautifully together. This album sounds like the sun. It sounds like the heat. It sounds like the desert. It sounds like the earth. I'm going to screw this quote up, but I think Emerson once said that nature always wears the colors of the spirit. Well, those colors are found in these songs. Mark Olson 
is an amazing guy to chat with. I think you're going to like this conversation. And the conversation actually changes locales. He and Ingen were actually at a, a, a festival. They were standing outside. Then they went into a cab. Then they were in a hostel. Then they were eating. And through it all, we just kept talking. Because Mark Olson's the kind of guy you want to just hang out with on the porch, drink those weird teas, and talk with. And so, thanks to modern technology, that's exactly what we did. Enjoy my talk with Mark Olson right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. The songs are, they were crafted in such an organic, home-based environment. What is it like to take them into a live setting? Of well, that's people? the thing. It's, it's a whole uh, way of thinking, really, about how are you, how are you going to do the songs in a live way. And it basically comes down to the groove. And right now, when we're playing live in America... We'll have this special keyboard that Ingen used on all the songs. It's a Mellotron and all the string arrangements. But right now we have a broken down where she just plays the canoon and she plays the drum. And that that's helpful for working up the new songs because we basically get our riffs and our grooves together. And they get, get our singing together. So I'm very happy with the way that... Um, uh, Dear Elizabeth is going. You Are All is going. Nicola is going very well. And Seminole Valley Tea Sipper Society. Those are the first ones I've worked in, and they're all going really well. I'm opening up with Seminole Valley because it's just kind of a... It has some joy to it, that song. And so we just get rolling on that one. What is the discovery process like for you? Because you, know, you craft the songs, and they're intimate, and they're beautiful... And then there's this kind of uh, you know element that gets built into them when you're working them up live. What is that discovery process like? Do you discover elements about the song that you didn't that you didn't know were there? Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Is like we, we I, I kind of discovered that this dear Elizabeth is kind of a a power pop anthem number. It really takes <laughs> off live when we go. Where are the yellow hummingbird flowers? You know, and we. We stop, you know, we have the little break there, and then we get rolling. It's it's really a good one live, and so is Seminole Valley. They both have this kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of like the Kings, the, the Everly Brothers, kind of a mixture between those two groups. I really listen to a lot of 60s music. And Richie Havens, I listen to this album called Mixed Bag a lot, as far as, like, trying to record myself and get a really nice, natural, good studio sound. And I went into Los Angeles, the Burbank Airport, and I rented a couple microphones from there. I discovered I didn't have to buy recording equipment. I could just rent it. So I tried to make this album that sounded like it was done in a 60s uh, studio. But, 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 you know, basically live. We record live. We don't do the Pro Tool thing where we're doing any editing. All the tracks are 100%. Uh, a complete track so each vocal is a complete vocal each guitar is a complete guitar and we got used to that this is the second record we made so we're used to saying you know getting through three quarters of the track make a mistake and saying okay start over we don't have any you know problem with that or you know we're, we're not trying to save incomplete tracks and edit them together and i think that that gives the album another i think that there there's a lot of unique um uh kind of uh elements to the album there's ingen's canoon there's the harmony singing there's all, and and then there's all of these okay and she said get in the cab thank you so much thank you 
Lisa, you guys are great. Yeah, you too. Okay, you were so nice to help us. Yeah, so nice. We have these nice Dutch women helping us get out of this festival. Crazy stuff. There's a very loud band playing right now. Oh, I'm in the cab. Next question. Okay, we've moved the interview yeah. to the cab. Um, yeah, the interview's in the freaking cab now. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. And next we're going. Next we're going to a hostel. Yeah. We're going to a hostel. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even a hotel. It's a hostel. When you do the next record, are you going to keep these yeah. things in mind about what changed in the live setting? Did, did you get new information for the new writing process? Well, that. Yeah, that's been going on for many years. I've been kind of on a journey um, pretty much my whole musical career of, you know, making a record, going out and touring. And exactly like you said, as you're doing those tours, you start to see what is working about each song and about the way you're playing. And then you try to transfer that knowledge onto the next album. I think that that's the whole thing. And, and if you can... Uh, uh, be very aware of that as you go along. You know, one of the secrets is trying to do what I'm doing. I'm trying to work in all the live songs, as I, all the new songs as I go along. I'm try, I actually rehearsed yesterday before a little gig we had in this town. And it's, it's, it's not turning into a, ro a road robot and just going through the set list, retaining your creativity on the road, which is difficult because you can get pushed around and you can get very... Uh, it's just easier sometimes to turn into a machine on the road and, and just stick to the same set list. But I, I try to keep it really creative and exactly what you said, store up ideas for the next album, what's working, what's not working. As for us, we're, we are a very unique duo that's using a canoe, that's using a djembe, that's using an electric guitar, not acoustic guitar, and a dulcimer. And then there's the little string element we have too. And so... We live together, we're married, and so we have all these little things, and I think we're just going to keep on enhancing those things that we have, and that we've worked very hard over two records now. Um, my own, you know, uh, Goodbye Liesel, and Spokeswoman of the Bright Sun, we work very hard on trying to develop little, um, the canoe songs, the dulcimer songs, the harmony singing, and now I think it's just advancing that program that we've started to develop. I think that 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 would that's the ideas for any future recordings and stuff and also that we've worked up a unique way of recording that isn't involved with pro tools we're recording on the nagra and we do full takes and that's really kind of exciting because you sit there and go i'm going to sing the entire song i'm going to do the best i can and you take shots you know we'll have one session where we'll sing it out and then we'll sing it again in a couple days and listen back and just find the the best take that we can do. And we've been doing that for two albums now. So as time has gone by, we've gotten better at it. And isn't there a certain beauty in imperfection, like keeping imperfection uh, where yeah, it is? Well, well, I think, yeah, I mean, we go for, you know, we're, we're singing for perfection as, as best as a human being can. Right. But what's, but, but what's happened with the pro tool thing and the editing thing, it's a little scary. You know, I mean, you got people whose ears are very well adjusted to that perfection thing. And so when you lay something on them, that's a little more uh, organic as you like to call it, you know, these are, these are non-edited full takes, you know, duo singing, um, yeah, and, and it, I think it sounds better. I, I do. I, I think that it's it's more natural, and and I 
And I think that there's other people doing this, and I think there's going to be more people doing it. I think it's actually more fun. It's it's more fun to just go for something and really um, work it up, do a bunch of takes, and pick the one you like the best and sit there and edit it apart. I, I just don't I, – I, I see the purpose of that if you are a uh, – a person who is on every radio station in the country and they needed to have that kind of over-the-top sound. But I'm a person who's doing music for art, really, for the sake of writing, for the sake of lyrics, for the sake of themes, for the sake of my sounds with the canoe and the guitar. I'm not on the radio in every uh, city in the nation. So I can be more of an artist. I don't have to, like, play the game that they've kind of set up where everything has to be, like, this pro tool perfection thing. So why should I? Agreed. <laughs> yeah, totally agreed. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's crazy I, to sit I, around. It, it's like what I don't understand is, like, there's this Americana movement, and they're editing everything. So it's just, I mean, Americana or whatever folk music is just sit down and play it. Well, I'm glad we'll never have to hear your voice auto-tuned. No, it hasn't been, so I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going for the au naturel sound. You know, this record reminds me, it, I, I couldn't help but think of uh, the work of Wallace Stegner when I was listening to this record, because um, he writes so much about memory. Um, and this record addresses memory, too. Can you talk a bit about how you yeah. conceptualize the, the memory and, and what to do with yeah. it? Yeah. Well, you're right on there, because uh, most of the t- things that I've written in my life I liked a writer when I was young. I got introduced to this guy, Frank O'Connor. He oh, yeah. wrote short stories. He was Irish. He has this story called Guests of the Nation, and that's usually the first one in his collection of short stories. And I basically learned to write songs um, from reading those short stories. You have the first line, which introduces the theme of the song. And the whole theme is, is kind of held in that first line. And then you just kind of go... And go off in different tangents on that theme. And my themes are usually about my familial memories and how I'm trying to turn the people that I knew in my life. They had these philosophies and these philosophies were based on on basic things, love and uh, hard work and uh uh, poetry and hope and, you know, money problems and just the basic things that people go through. And I tried to present these family members of mine in kind of a, a sort of a poetic, heroic light. And, and I think that most of my songs are exactly what I just said right there. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, re- I'm going back in time and I'm remembering things that happened and I'm trying to put them in a light and give them meaning. Now, that really works for writing. If you're going to go back and analyze, like, for instance, when I was young, we went down to the farm. I had farming relatives, and there, there was these picnics where my grandma had all these hot dishes and stuff, and there was a well house there with a big, you know, weeping. So I can imagine this thing, and then I can go on about something that happened during that. That works great for songs. It doesn't really work so great for real life, you know, like sitting around doing that all the time. So I'm very fortunate that I uh, found a way to use those expressions that are in my heart when I think about things that happened to me in my life. And you can go into things that were difficult, you know, things that happened to you that are difficult, that you don't really want to look at so much, and try to turn them into something positive. I usually do that. 
I usually am not like, I'm trying to turn it into something that does give hope in a way and does give a way forward. And so that's what, it, that's what I do as far as my memories are concerned. And I try to put them out there in a way that has meaning too. I don't like to think of life as being just like um, a very, very, very big pile of green foam, you know. I don't like that. I like it when, when life has meaning and there's some sense of we are going in a direction. Like in the song Nicole, I'm still going on about we can walk together. You know, we can walk. Nicola, let us show you the ways of love. Where you find us, we don't need to hide. Why does the darkness fall? No one knows. Why do I miss you so? No one knows. She knows the rays of light. She knows the way. We can walk together.
So most of my songs have been wrapped up in that in that theme right there. That that's my basic theme that I've always felt drawn to as a as a writer and what I wanted to express when I first started to write songs. And I wanted it to have many meanings, you know, like you write this thing that can reach out and touch people in different ways. It doesn't have to be like the picnic table is painted white over there, you know, and then, oh, it's not necessarily that. It's the picnic table is having a conversation with the grass, you know, that's more interesting. So I try to describe things as having some life to them, you know, inanimate objects. <laughs> it's like a great thing that works really well. It's like, the world is full of conversations and you can walk around having them and it's just it's just exciting, you know, like it's like everything isn't, you know, like everything isn't made in China steel or made in America, you know, aluminum. It's like it's full of uh, life. That's why I like to think about it. And there's actually there's been a study that they, they think inanimate objects can actually retain human conversation. I haven't haven't gone very deep in it other than than it's more interesting to me than everything being completely stale. You know, there are there is something going on between when we're walking around. But that's, you know, what I love so much about these songs is that there there's a kind of awareness um, in in all the songs. You can you can hear the birds. You can feel the heat. uh, you You can sense the breeze. Yeah, well, that's 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 what I'm I'm trying to do. That so I don't know. It's it's I've always liked atmosphere too. As far I've always when I'm listening to music, I like to get a sense of the atmosphere of the someone who did um, that really well was Mickey Newberry on that Rain album he made. He made this record where he had a bunch of rain on it. It has so much atmosphere, and and I always like that. As far as like each album, I would think should have its own kind of a atmosphere. And, and that plays well into home recording because you're, you're, you know, instead of sitting there trying to have it sound like this big studio, you, you just go for what you can get right there when you're doing it. And as a writer, how do you feel you, you get, you know, you continually grapple with that, this idea of getting the atmosphere in the songs. How do you know if you're, if you're getting better at it? Do you just by keep doing it? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And I also think, I, I also think there's, uh, what I've discovered as far as answering your question is, is that the thing is, is that as you go along, if, if you're doing it like we're doing it, where we're doing pretty much everything ourselves, DIY, uh, you have to get technically good at the different things you're doing. Um, so you have to get somewhat technically good at getting clean sounds on a relatively good microphone and preamp, and then you have to get technically good at singing all your harmony parts. The funny thing about harmony is it always gets better with time. And so when you go to record, you need to have sung the songs, I don't know, 50 times maybe, you know, really lived with them, to really find the unique harmony parts. Because as, we, as we've gone along now, and, and this always happens, and we're playing our songs live, we're always finding these extra little flares on the harmonies, which that's, that's the thing. Dual harmony singing is very exciting. And so that, you have to fi- have the technical thing about the harmony, and then it's just guitar, playing bass, playing all the things. You have to um, work up your uh, ability. And then once your ability's worked out, on all those things, you're going to find the atmosphere just exploding. It's just like wonderful. You know, you're going to find the space 
if something's really good, you put a couple good things together and then there's all that space. And I just discovered that. And I've been fascinated by uh, percussion for many years now, as opposed to the drum kit. Um, there's two, there's, there, well, there's, yeah, there's two reasons for that. Is I really like the sound of cool percussion. Danny Frankel, he has the bongo on Mary Frances Strong was used in the 50s in L.A. studios. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in a movie. It's in some weird, like, film noir, and you can really hear it. He sent me the link to that movie. It's like some 1950s movie. With the, his bongos were used in the studios, and it sounds wonderful. And it is. Sounds like Mary Francis Strong. It's the same bongo. And then we had him do uh, – then we played the djembe. We've always played the djembe on the road. And I listened to somebody called Gigi Ejigaya, an album called Zion Roots. And it's, 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 she's an Ethiopian singer. It has the coolest percussion I have ever heard on an album, Zion Roots by Gigi Ejigaya. And that really influenced me like five years ago to say, okay, I'll use the kid on a few songs, but I really want to go for percussion with my songs now, really feature percussion and turn it up. And so that's, I've been going in that direction. What do you think it is about percussion that is so seductive mm. now in your life? Well, I think that it, I think that it, 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 it's, it's uh, to the point, you know, you find the little spot in the song and you can then, you, then you hear more of the, like if it's the canoe or the acoustic finger pick, you hear more of the instrument, you know, like you, you're not bearing it under a drum kit. And I also think that, hey, you've got 2000 bands that are well-funded out there rocking drum kits on all these records, you know? There's an opening now. There's definitely opening for more percussion meets acoustic music. I, I just feel it. And when I heard the Gigi record, I went, wowie, kazawi. Listen to the percussion on this record. And it's wide open, and it's low drums, and they're all tuned up. So we tuned our djembe's on this. We tuned our various things. And we got our percussion in tune. So half the songs have percussion, and half are just with a regular drum kit. Very cool. Uh, can you tell me what, what was it like for you as a as a kid from Minnesota to to suddenly find yeah. yourself as a teenager in Topanga with your aunt? I believe the story is. Yeah, yeah. I was really neat. She had uh, she picked me up. Um, my dad died when I was kind of fourteen, and so I ended up living out there in California. I finished high school at Santa Monica, and I lived with my aunt and my grandmother. And she picked me up. She had a Volkswagen. She ended up going to Berkeley. Uh, she was sore. She was. She became a uh, person who worked with uh, ecology, and then she went into the nuclear free. So she was always like a a person who was involved in 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 uh, the world around her. And she had this uh, Volkswagen without any brakes, and she she could downshift. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she cr- she cringes now, but she would downshift. She had the parking brake for the final stop. But she, she picked me up at LAX and downshifted all the way to West, West L.A. That's where they lived. And then there was rent control in Santa Monica. So those were the days. My grandmother worked for the, uh, the Veterans Administration in West Los Angeles in that big building. She was a secretary there. She could always get jobs. She was a super fast typer. And, um, well, uh, I went up to the Bluegrass Festival with my aunt. It was like my eyes were open, you know. I have to say that Minnesota, the Minnesota that I grew up in, was a very um, 
compared to California, it was a place that had traditions and rules, you know, just like a lot of, uh, um, like, I don't know, you know, like on Sunday, you watch the Vikings on Monday, you know, it's just, it's just, there, there was, it was a little hard, you know, I think that I think it's a little hard to break out of Minnesota culture. And for me leaving there in, in, uh, when I was, before I graduated from high school, was completely shocking as far as like the things I saw and the way I saw people living. And I think, you know, it set me on the, the path to be a musician and to write spokeswoman of the bright sun, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it all kind of, it was a long journey. Let me tell you that much, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, I, I, uh, I, it's hard for me to explain, you know, I mean, I go, go, uh, the guy that does, uh, you know, the, 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 the home on the prairie, little, the, Oh, Garrison does. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, is some truth to, to what he's doing there. He's doing sort of a, it's sort of a come on sort of a comedy, but there, there, there's a bit of truth there. So there is a real culture in Minnesota that does not exist at all in California. So California was a wide open place. And, you know, I, I heard the twang of the ban- banjos and I love the eucalyptus smell in the ocean. And so it was a really exciting time for me to be alive. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself, but I knew that I liked music and I knew that I liked the wild feeling of California. So. And, and I, you know, I've been listening to you since 1987, which carbon dates us both. Um, but I've always felt that in, in your music, I always wondered if you had those two elements. Do you think there's a, a, a very yeah. Western vibe and a very California vibe? Yeah, that's true. And it, it all came from that, from that time. And it all basically came from my aunt doing stuff with me. You know, we, it was one thing to live with your grandma, but she wasn't going to do a bunch of things, go out. But my aunt took me up to the Sierra Nevadas, took me to some music festivals. And so, yeah, it was, a. Uh, it was that they was the combination of those two kind of uh, musical styles, and then I saw the early development. I was interested in playing music, and I saw the early development of the Paisley, you know, underground kind of bands, uh, Green on Red, and uh, some other things like that. California music and I, and I wanted to kind of do that I wasn't really going to go into the punk rock thing of who's doing the replacements when I went back to Minnesota I definitely wanted to try to do a, 
a folk kind of a poetry kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny because that yeah. the, the replacement Cisco Du stuff would have been very California, and the Green Eyed Red stuff would have been more Midwestern. But they they switched they switched uh, I guess, places. I, yeah, I guess so because I guess there was a bit of X. I did like that record, Los Angeles by X. I even put that on recently. I like the that thing's got a lot of energy, man. It's some really cool songs. So that that era of music was really exciting. I didn't. I wasn't really playing in a band when that stuff came out. I was more just a fan, you know, like anyone who was trying to figure out how I was going to play music and how I was, I was going to go about being a musician. And you were, you were playing around with your guitar. You were, you were self-taught. Yeah. Just, just an acoustic guitar. Yeah. I was self-taught. Um, later on, I, I tried some different things, but that's how I started out. Got and, it. I, and I, and I tried to be in like rockabilly bands to start with because that was the basic, you know, I wanted to learn the blues, Johnny Cash and all that stuff. And, and of course, the blasters were, were going on at that time. I saw them in the early days. I saw them, and I thought they were freaking fantastic. The all, yeah, it was wonderful. Um, I want to ask you really quickly about the the song cycle on the new record. It, yeah, what was the sequencing like for you? Was that was that an easy task, or was that difficult? No, I took a lot of time with it. Actually, I uh, the the opening song was was somewhat difficult to find. I was torn between You Are All and uh, Dear Elizabeth, and I went back and forth and back and forth, and I just uh, finally hit hit on Dear Elizabeth. It was also Time of Love. That, that one appeared to be maybe the opening song, too. So I went Dear Elizabeth, Time of Love. And then it got a little weird, but I wanted to get Spokeswoman up top, so I did that. And then Mary Frances worked its way up from way down below. And then Seminole Valley worked its way up from way down below. So, so that's I started out with a completely different thing. And Mary Frances and Seminole Valley worked their ways up. That's how that all came about. And then the, then the bottom half of it just kind of fell into place. I knew that, that, uh, that uh, Death Valley... Um, uh, hold on. I just sit down now. Now we're out of the cab. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're out of the cab and we're in a hostel, which is actually a nice hostel. They have foosball here. Wow. So, yeah, it's there, there's a thing about Europe and foosball that we kind of lost touch with. They kept their foosball tables and we <laughs> threw ours out, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. But Death Valley Soda Pop Cool Down Dream, that was one of my favorite titles of all time because I kind of lived it. You know, I mean, I'd been out in the desert for 20 years, and Ingen and I started going camping over by Death Valley at this place called Tacopa, where there was a hot springs, and it was like this most psychotic camping. It's on a field of just dirt and rocks. And then we'd go into the hot springs, and you could hear toads croaking in the hot water. There's a little spring there. And it's so rough and so hot during the day that when we'd come back to our house in Joshua Tree, we'd be like, it's so nice in this house. It's so wonderful. It's like the <laughs> desert is so harsh. So it's kind of like, I kind of wrote that song about those experiences, like you're climbing out of Death Valley and this, you know, like this vision of somebody having a soda pop stand with ice and how wonderful that would be. And, and uh, I knew that song had to be the last song. So it was just a matter of arranging. And then, um, there were some people, I think Lucid uh, Glitterhouse, when he first heard the record, he really liked All My Days. And I, and, and, uh, 
our booker in Norway, he really liked all my days too. And uh, I had that up near the top to begin with. But I put it down at nine, and there are people that tell me that you should put one of your better songs near the end of the record just to, uh, you know, have a real good, you know, ending there to keep people motivated and all that. So that, that's how it came together. Has your approach to sequencing, has it changed, or has it always been something you've, you've thought deeply about? I've worked more, I worked very hard on the sequencing on this record. I, ha, I, I never really worked on it that hard. It was always a lot easier for me. Um, pretty much the first song's the best song, and then the third song's the uh, one that has uh, the most hooky thing or whatever, and then you, you go into your ballads and whatever. I don't know. I just th- this album I really wanted to get right, and I think I, I think it came out really nice the sequencing on this one, and I think it's because I took my time and really sweated it out and uh, went through it. I just did it myself. I didn't. Sometimes when Ingen and I work together. There's a lot of me going to Ingen and saying, what do you think of this? Where should we go with this? But on some things, it's just me going, just putting my head down, and I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to work on the sequencing of this record for a couple of weeks, and I'll inform Ingen, what about the sequencing of the record? I kind of did that myself, didn't I? The sequencing, the order of the, yeah, she said that. Multiple takes, she says, multiple takes. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is, uh, how much do you love the collaborative process, getting to, to collaborate with your I wife? Do. That's very important to me. Um, this is like my third musical group, and we met 10 years ago, and we've been married six years, and it's, it's everything to me. You know, it's, it's the building of this thing together, the possibilities of it. Um, when I met Ingen, she played the drum very well. And she's a wonderful singer, but, you know, it took us years to put our harmonies together. That takes a while. And she has, in the meantime, since we met, she learned the Armenian canoon. And then I knew she was good on the keyboard. I knew that she could hear things. And so it kind of set her free on on this string arrangement thing on this album. That was the, the secret ingredient at the end of the album. And she really did a great job. She has this sense of major, minor. And she can move those four string parts she she did, or three th- three to four parts. She can move them around very nicely, and she 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 holds notes very nicely through different passages. And she did. I really like the way she has this moody um, Norwegian kind of sensibility. Her mom played the piano very well, and she's been around music her whole life. So it's it's a thing where um, when you work with somebody, you you just you work with them because you believe in in their innate musical ability you know that's i i think that someone's ability maybe they aren't um you know ingen is not a fancy guitar player but she has a lot of music inside of her you know and so she was able to learn the canoe she's able to hear harmonies she's able to write string arrangements and she can play great percussion so she's an all-around really talented musician and she's a very nice person to travel with and be around and be married to too so that's like that's 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 like numero uno of the whole discussion here because that that's that's what that's what life is really about when you come down to it you can you know we're we're trying to have a, you know a successful album we're, we we've been working on the album for a while we're out here touring we're trying to have a successful album and things are going well sometimes and things are going not well sometimes 
But at the end of the day, when when this run is done, I, I want to have Ingrid and I, you know, be in the sun somewhere and be smiling about this 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 process. And that's what it was like on uh, um, Goodbye, Lizelle. We went up and down. We put everything we had into it. And at the end of the day, we were back home, and we went on a little hike. And we and that that's that's what that's that's how I you know. I, music is very important, but there, I've learned that I can't make it into this thing that is that is uh, totally going to define my entire life. When you're a professional musician, it could kind of get that way, you know. It really is nowadays in the 24/7 internet DIY world. If you are trying to get gigs, make albums, write songs, do everything you need to do. It can be, you know, six, seven days a week, every day. And you have to find how to keep the joy within that. That's been my uh, overall view of the thing, is if something gets to the point where it really isn't that joyful, be it some type of touring or some, some type of working with different individuals, because I've reached out, I've tried to work with different people over the course. It basically has ended up being Ingen and I on the last two records. But I've tried to involve other people and some things haven't worked out because I just, um, I'm trying to find a open, unique way of doing it. And when I feel like I'm going back to the, the, the established um, business patterns and recording patterns, I, I, it doesn't really work for me. I have to like kind of discover my own path. And that's how it all has been coming together for Ingen and I. And I really uh, cannot believe how far we've come on just the two of us putting our heads down and trying to do this thing at this point and just kind of starting over. I mean, our Goodbye Lizelle was a complete and total start over, a day one where I went out and found different booking agents, where I went out and found, even though I'd worked with, with Glitter House before, I recontacted them when we started that whole thing over again. You know, a new way of recording, new songs, new touring agents. Um, and then building on that for this one, where we found Red Eye to distribute the album in America. And, and it's just, we started at ground zero. So everything we've done has kind of been a, a family business effort. And we've done all the things that family businesses do. We've reinvested in it. And uh, we keep going down the road. Now, when I was younger and I was playing music, I didn't know how much I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, the uh, when we do tours, we, we invest in the tours. When we, you know, when we make the album, we invest in the album. And it's just, uh, there's, there's something um, really rewarding when you find out that the music you're doing is working in some quarters. Okay, again, you ha I think you have to have your sights set on these quarters because if you're thinking that you're going to release a record nowadays and over the entire world, everyone is just going to go absolutely crazy loving it. That's not going to really work unless you have, you know, these huge publicists that you just spent $20,000, you know, advancing your cause or radio people doing the same thing. For us, we're hitting pockets like tonight. Someone came out to our show with their daughter and, and their wife who had seen our show in a place called Luxor in the Netherlands. And then he came to this show 
that was in Roots in the Woods Festival, and both shows were good. So I told this guy, they were well-attended shows, and we played well. So I told this guy, you have to contact me the next time you're coming to a show, because then I know it's going to be good, man. (laughs) You are a charm, man. He was a charm, this guy, and he sends us pictures. He bought our record again, so last time he sent us a picture of our of the signed record on the internet, and he's going to do it again. So there's these little pockets I'm hitting that are working really well. <laughs> now, not not everything is okay. Are you? I once heard that Tom Waits said that if you're just because you're not fishing doesn't mean, or just because your line isn't in the water doesn't mean you're not thinking about fishing. And I wonder, yeah. do, you, do you find yourself I thinking was, all the time about music? No, I was thinking about fishing today. <laughs> you said that. We were we were rolling in the train, and we were rolling along one of these big river canals. We came over a bridge, a huge canal, and people were fishing down there. I said, Inga, and the sun had just come out. I said, Inga, I have got to fish. So to answer your question, I think about music too much, and I want to go fishing in the near future. <laughs> so it's for Tom Waits' sake, i got to get my line in the water, man. For sure. Mark, are you good at taking notes? In other words, any kind of criticism from from your wife? Are you good at receiving that information? Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's wondering if I'm good at receiving criticism from you. Yeah. Yeah. She says yeah. She says definitely. We talk about we, we yeah. talk about everything that's a problem all the time. Yeah, we do talk about things that are problematic that we want to make better. We talk it out. We evaluate it. Yeah, we do. We do, and that goes for like. Uh, um, many factors, you know, I was, I was telling Ingen, as far as, you know, being able to do a good, a good show, this is, everyone knows all this stuff. There's so many things to go into. I don't this. think criticize is the word. Yeah, not criticize. It's more evaluate. Evaluate. Yeah. You, know, you have to, you have to eat the right food. You have to have good sound. You have to have your, your, the right strings on your guitar. You have to have the, you know, there's just, just a, a number of things that can go wrong with music. And I told her, I said, I, I wish that, you know, because I just wish that maybe, and there wasn't so many of these things that can pop up all the time. As you go along, you become more aware of them and you have them all organized, you know. And sometimes that can lead a musician to being very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but uh, a little over-organized, I think. You, you tend to try to, you know, you got to get the amp and all the stuff. It's got to be right, perfect, everything's got to, you know. But uh, I don't know, there's something... But there's something in music that is of the moment, no matter how much you try to organize the thing. It's, it's you have to feel it in that moment. And you have to figure out how to make it work in that moment. So it defies complete organizational skills. And when you guys are writing, do you do you go to separate corners or do you write together? Mm, this is the this is interesting. Basically, I do the theme and I do the first leg of the journey by myself. And that can that. And I like to be by myself. I just think about things. And, and I actually gotten to the point now where I can write without instruments and basically get, get the humming part going and get the lyrics going in my head. And then I, once I kind of have it, I, I did all of um, uh, Death Valley without an instrument. And then I can sit down and uh, kind of direct. And that's where Ingen really comes together for me with this not writing with an instrument thing then i can sit down and we can hum a note and we can sit down at a different instrument and then we can start working through some patterns first and then take those patterns and move them into different chord progressions that that's the fun that for me that's the 
that's the most advanced, fun way to work now on a song. The the old way of just working, I never really sit down and run over chord patterns. I don't really do that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll work on some sort of um, uh, I don't know what the dulcimer or something or some chord progression, some like two or three chord progression. But I won't just be going over progressions and then moving into other progressions, going from verses to chord. I don't really do that. I I tend to just uh do it more away from the instruments uh, i don't know and then move into the instruments for the final phase that that's just more fun to me because the, then all of a sudden it seems to just like take off in a natural way and you're not sitting there going over a chord progression over and over again trying to fill in words into a chord progression or a melody i don't do that i let the the words influence the melodies and then uh when i when i when i come to a certain point there's little passing things that we've done on the last two records that are very noticeable. There'll be little passing musical sections, and that's pretty much Ingen and I working those out together. Well, I'll say, let's let's work on some passing thing, and then she will go in another room, or we will work together at the piano. We wrote the chorus for Seminole Valley, just sitting at the piano together. So we do it in all different ways, and I think that... Uh, Ingen added a lot with these passing things and with these string arrangements. It, it brought out different melodies that weren't really even there. She she gave it some sort of like moodiness that that was I didn't even imagine was there. So it's all she's she's really talented and has really helped. Now being able to write without an instrument that seems like Jedi level. No, it's not. It's not. You just sort of you you start humming your melody your main melody, and then you start breaking off from that melody in your head. And, yeah, and it's really effective. It really is a nice thing to do. And you can walk and do it, and you can carry your tape deck with you. That's what I started to do, and I, and I think that I get, I think I get, see, the goal of writing is, okay, you're going to write songs. How many songs do you want to write? I mean, you want to write 50 songs for an album? Do you really want to do that? How about write 10 songs for an album? Let's write 10. Let's make each thing we do really good. And if you're going to do that, I really think that you have to focus. You have to find those extremely good things that you're going to make be the um, the floor of your songhouse. You know, you, you got to have the floor that's going to work for you. And so on this record, I really tried to find the 10 best ideas to build these songs from, whether it was a lyrical idea or a musical idea, a strum idea, or a, um, a melody idea. And I tried to build the songs that way, and I did not write 50 songs to get to these 10 at all. There, there may have been 12 or 13 that had a strong consideration. So there's not a lot of B-sides floating around the no, cutting room there's, floor? No, there's one, there's one called uh, Mojave River Morning, and it didn't work. <laughs> It's like, God, it just, it, it, it was, it was okay for a long time. But when we came to the final mix, there's that moment when you say it's done. I can't do it. It didn't work. Oh no, it's, it's no good. Get rid of it. So that- we did that and we cut it. Mojave River Morning was the B side of this album that was chopped. And is that the sort of kill, never- that kill your darlings moment where you have to be, you just have to go, all right, it's not working. 
you go it's ruining the album man. <laughs> song is ruining the album get rid of it mark i, yeah. I gotta tell you i'm i'm uh, i'm 47 and i've heard you since i was 17 and, and your music has always meant the world to me so it's nice to have a Thank chat you, with alex you, you know and it was it was an interesting night to chat How about that? An interesting night to chat indeed. Mark Olson, what a guy. What a nice guy. He's the kind of guy you could, uh, you could talk to all night. And uh, then you look at your watch and you go, oh, I was supposed to be at work, dude. He's a hell of a guy. Um, one of the nicest uh, fellows I've chatted with in a while. And uh, I always knew he'd be a nice guy. I've, uh, I always had the, the sneaking suspicion Mark Olson was uh, salt of the earth kind of fella. And uh, he did not disappoint. Uh, you know what you should do? You should buy his new album. And all you have to do is go over to markolsonmusic.com. That's Mark Olson with two O's. Mark Olson, O-L-S-O-N, music.com. 
and uh, you can pick up uh, pick up the new record there. Spokeswoman of the Bright Sun is the new album, and the album before that is Goodbye Lozelle. Go to MarkOlsonMusic.com, pick them both up. Why not? Support Mark Olson. He's uh, out there traipsing across the world. He's taking cabs. He's sleeping in hostels. He's talking to weird DJs like myself about his work. And, uh, and he remains upbeat and uh, gregarious and, and very warm. Uh, speaking of warm, while we were talking, my state of California was on fire. And uh, Mark, uh, Mark said, I hope everything's okay up there with the fires. He's a thoughtful man, that Mark Olson. It was a blast talking to him. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. Thank you for your support of the program. Thank you for inquiring about uh, positions on the show. You, Many of you have wanted to get on, and uh, I want to accommodate all of you. I want to chat with everybody. We've got some pretty exciting guests coming up in the in the next few weeks. Uh, in addition to our first two shows with Sarah Curtin and Mark Olson, we have the Coronas. They're coming up. Uh, I've got uh, Ben Jaffe from Honey Honey. He's coming up. Uh, Bradley from Bye Bye Blackbirds. Who else do we have coming up? Rihanna. I'll be interviewing Rihanna. The only stipulation uh, with Rihanna's people is they said Rihanna has to be in a swimming pool while you interview her. And I was like, cool, I'll get in the swimming pool and interview Rihanna. And they're like, no, no, no. No, you you won't be in the pool with her. You'll be on dry land, buster. Keep your mic away from Rihanna is the deal. Now, if you or your friend's band or your friend's friend's band uh, want to be on Stereo Embers, the podcast, send me a note, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or on Twitter at Embers Editor. I'll give it a listen, then we'll have a chat. Thank you, as always, for choosing Bombshell Radio to be your sonic companion. We certainly appreciate your patronage. Uh, if you are curious about our radio station, just go to bombshellradio.com. You'll find information there about all of our extensive programming. We're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'd do more if they had more. That's, that's, what, that's the deal with that. If they up the week to nine days a week and, and there's 37 hours in a day, we'd fill it with great programming. You know why? Because we don't mess around here at Bombshell Radio. I mean, I do, but the, the station doesn't. Uh, all right. I will see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Dear Elizabeth, you came outside your door. Leave now and don't look back and pull the wings.